Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst, Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod. We're here for our pregame for the Alabama and the PK-85 opening event. Uh, before we begin, I just wanted to send along thanks to Jason Yeager, our new Cleves level supporter. He'll be getting a t-shirt in a few weeks. We'll start getting, once that design is finalized, also the other two in the Cleves level, if you want to join in, you can go to Patreon at, uh, you can link through our website at tffinots.com slash support. We re- really appreciate that. That financial support is what keeps the show running and what keeps us with our improvements. All right, so let's talk about this PK-85. Michigan State played the PK-80, which is the Phil Knight event uh, for Nike back in 2017. Michigan State won that. And we're going to open this year against the Crimson Tide. The Tide are 4-0, and they haven't played anyone really, just some small directional schools. Uh, she, they've had one semi-close game where they beat South Alabama by 10 and three blowouts. They are coming off a 19-14 and 14 season, which started pretty well and then uh, with wins over Gonzaga and Houston, but then kind of they kind of came back to earth. They were kind of up and down most of the season and didn't do too much in the NCAA tournament. And so, uh, like most teams in this country, there's a lot of turnover <laughs> with their team. Just like we're seeing the Big Ten, we're also seeing other schools, and Alabama's one of them. So it's going to be a largely a new team from last year, and we should probably talk about Jade Nakins. I guess, you know, to, for those who weren't watching the game against Villanova, the very end of the game, he came down funny. It looked like, at least from where I was sitting, it looked like he was sort of hopping, like he wasn't putting any pressure on the foot. And we, we talked about it. We weren't sure which foot he had had surgery on. And so it was not clear to us if that was the same one that he'd had the stress reaction surgery prior to the season. But it clearly, but it clearly did. And we talked about that. Like it, there was some talk about, you know, even Izzo in his post game was talking about he wasn't sure whether it's a knee or ankle. And, and, you know, I said on our post game, I rewatched it several times and I didn't see anything else. I didn't see a knee bang. I didn't see an ankle twist. And so sure enough today, they verified it was the foot, but, uh, they did x-rays and it is the same foot that he had the surgery on for the stress reaction. Um, they did x-rays. They also apparently consulted with the physician, with the surgeon that did that surgery on him about, nine, 10 weeks ago now. Um, and he's gotten the all clear. So they're, they're not finding any additional damage. Um, what is always said is that he didn't practice yesterday. We're recording this on Monday night. He didn't, they didn't practice. The team had Saturday off. They didn't, he didn't practice on Sunday. He was likely not going to have him practice again today, Monday. And then they'd go from there. Uh, the consensus from the media, from the beat guys, 
seemed to be that they had the feeling that he would be he would play against Alabama. I think the question is more around how much do they do they try to kind of minimize the minutes. You know, Izzo said, uh, and, and I get this, and it of course makes sense. Said they're not going to force him to for three games and jeopardize the remaining twenty four plus. You know, which of course makes right. sense. So. I don't know. I I know this isn't your area, um, but you're closer <laughs> to it than I am. It, it's it seems to me that you know it would be possible maybe that there could be, um, you know, associated pain as part of a recovery process that doesn't necessarily mean a re-injury, right? I mean, it sometimes that's what happens. And maybe that's what's occurred here. I don't know. None of us have access to Jaden Aiken's medical records. So we, we kind of have to take it um, as it's presented to us. But I guess from where I sit, it certainly was far from the worst news that we could have gotten around this. And it seems relatively optimistic. But on the other hand, you know, you're going to have it in the back of your mind for a while. Yeah, no question. And to be clear, I'm an anesthesiologist, right. so I am at the other end of the body. <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> down by the feet. So, uh, you know, I work with orthopedic surgeons. I have no special knowledge. We, and as you said, we have no access to medical records and I'm not going to pretend to be any sort of at all expert to this. I would just say that, you know, once you've had surgery, you have inflammation there for quite a while, especially in general, the feet are the, the slowest part to heal in your body. And it's because it's farthest from your, from your heart. Uh, your blood flows worse. As you know, people who might be diabetics right. have bad blood flow to their feet and that they lose toes and amputations and things like that. I'm not saying any of this is going to happen to Jay Nakins at all. Just the fact that as you'll notice with yourself, when you injure your feet, you get cuts or whatever, it just takes longer to heal in your lower, your legs and feet. And so that's really, you know, I imagine he's going to be, uh, we're going to be uh, thinking about this injury all season long. I mean, every time he jumps and comes down, we may, anytime there's something that he looks like he's tweaks or whatever, I think it's just going to be the back. It's going to be there all season for us, and that's just something we're just going to have to accept. So it's about as good news as you could say, as you could expect. As again, you what I guess I was trying to get at is, it seems to me, and and what you were just talking about in terms of um, the likelihood of inflammation being a, a somewhat persistent issue going forward, that that then to some extent comes down more to a pain management issue than it does a risk of actual re-injury, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think both, I think it probably is fair to say that it's, it is slower to those structures that he had surgery on are probably slower to heal. And you probably have more, you're going to have pain a little bit longer, probably in your foot and ankle than you are other places like right. surgery in your hand, for instance. Um, so I guess I don't, you know, outside of that, very broad generalization, generalized statements. I can't say any much more right. than that, but I, you know, I think, yeah, you, you rule out the obvious stuff. If it was really bad and they didn't say, and maybe they did it and they just didn't tell us, maybe, you know, you would do an MRI to see if you need soft tissue damage. And it sounds like if they right. just did an x-ray, they're looking for a fracture. So I, you know, I guess there's nothing there that they saw, which is encouraging. And I think that's probably right. The, the hard thing is, of course, is that he's going to be expected to play three games in four days. You know, that's going to be, well, there, there's that. And, and then just in general, you know, you're talking about the feet in, in general being um, the slowest part of the body to heal, the most problematic for very obvious physiological reasons. But one of the other things that comes into play 
when you're talking about an athlete and particularly in a sport like basketball, where movement is mostly constant is that you're putting it under more stress than the average person too. So there's that as well. Um, but I guess, look at, at this point, I'm, uh, I'm choosing to remain cautiously optimistic that, um, that he'll continue to play. And, and I think really, it sounds like the primary issue for this event, at least is how much, you know, have they got him on a minutes limitation? Are they, are they trying to just be careful with it? Um, to kind of manage him through this and then figure that after this week, the schedule lightens up and becomes a little more normal. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have, you know, three games in four days until, you know, March, um, uh, barring some kind of weird COVID research. Right. Or having to play Michigan and Michigan schedules three games in a row or something like that. Well, that's what I, yeah, that's (laughs) okay. Bizarre COVID resurgence in Ann Arbor, which, Given the way they've started is entirely. They may be possible. looking for COVID. They may be out looking for it right now. They're they're going to be <laughs> begging for a, a COVID pause. I, I guess pretty the, soon. The here. one thing, I, the one additional thing I'd say about Aikens and his injury or re-injury or whatever you want to call it, I think the the likelihood. I you know our expectation was that Aikens would be a starter this season, this season uh, before this stress yeah. reaction. I think it's not unreasonable to imagine that he does not probably enter the starting lineup until January. And maybe, yeah, sure. maybe later. And almost to that point, sure. you, you're you probably going to, if they're playing well, you're going to have to ask the question, is yep. it worth inserting in the starting That's lineup or just point. bring them off the bench all season? Which is not what we expected, but that, you know, once you have that dynamic of, you know, everyone's kind of used to their sort of routine, if it's working well, you kind of don't want to upset the apple cart. So I, I, I don't know what will happen. That's No, I think that's a really good point. And there's, there's two aspects to that. There's the Jade Nakins end of that. But then there's also the Tyson Walker and Malik Hall aspects right, of right. it. And right now, you know, that I mean, Tyson Walker, you could make an argument, has been, I think, is their best two-way player right now. When you factor in everything. I mean, it's early. That could certainly change. But right now, I if I had to vote for a team MVP through four games, he'd get my vote. Yep. And Malik Hall is not far behind. Malik call for all the concern and worry about, can he guard threes? Listen, so far, not only is he guarding threes, he's guarding them exceptionally well. Now this, this game, as we're going to get into in a minute is going to present different, a very different type of challenge. He's spent a lot of the last two games chasing around smaller guys who are shooters um, and has done a great job in limiting them. Um, and by the way, those were supposed to be the kind of guys that would give him trouble. And yeah, they have right. uh, this game is going to be a very different challenge guarding the Miller kit, which we'll, we'll get into. But um, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, if you get to end of December and you've kind of been careful a little bit with Jaden and the team is playing well, why are you going to make a change? And and I don't think it'll be the end of the world to Jaden Akins either, because as long as he's healthy he's going to get substantial minutes. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, Michigan state is a place where they've multiple times, they've had sixth men be all conference. So it's not as if even your individual goals are impacted that much, you know, you're still going to get the same kind of minutes if you're Jade naked. So 
I think you could be on to something there. We've just been assuming there was going to be a change, you know, soon in that regard. And this, this whole deal plus the way Michigan state starters are playing might change that. And it might be a season long thing. So that'll be interesting to watch. Well, speaking of threes and guarding threes, that's what Michigan state is going to have to do a lot of this game because Alabama is the ultimate three point shooting team in America. They're ninth in three point field goal attempts to, uh, and they're, you know, they play very fast to their 15th overall on offense and Ken Palm with tempo. Uh, but they turn the ball over a ton too. And so, you know, this, this game is going to be a stark contrast from the previous games that we've played. And uh, yeah. I mean, I don't guess what's your initial impression. I mean, obviously in the background, of course, is Nate Oates, who a lot of Michigan state fans had assumed he was sort of the heir apparent to Izzo. And I know you've stated a number of times that there's no chance that happening. Um, no. So we're not going to probably dwell that much about it, but I, I guess maybe talk a little bit briefly about Nate Oates and his approach to basketball, because he definitely has, uh, you know, more analytical, I guess, approach than, than most coaches. Yeah. Yeah. So Nate Oates, for, for those who don't know, was for several years that I've lost track how many years it was. It wasn't, I don't think it was as long as a decade, but it was uh, somewhere around there was the head coach at Romulus high school and was part and Romulus is a school that, had some tradition anyway, uh, going way back to the uh, mid eighties, they won a uh, class a state title uh, with Terry Mills, the uh, former oh, Michigan yeah. star uh, as their main guy. But um, Nate Oates was around for something of a revival in Romulus high school basketball. He was a big part of it. And his teams were really good during that time. He had a number of uh, guys who played high level uh, college basketball. He had a kid named EC Matthews, who was a really good player at, I think I want to say EC ended up at Rhode Island. Um, he had another kid, Ray Lee, who bounced around a little bit, but most notably did time at, at uh, Eastern Michigan, um, had some very good teams and they were, they were fun to watch. And what's funny about it is I don't remember them being quite as crazy <laughs> And I'm using that yeah, term right. loosely because there's a mathematical rationale for what he does, but they didn't play. I don't remember them playing quite this extreme a style that Nate has embraced as a, as a collegiate coach. So anyway, he did a long stint around Romulus's program. He's not a, this is another thing too, for the, not to belabor it, but the whole, Oh, Nate Oates is time is a replacement. Nate Oates isn't even a Michigan native. He ended up in Michigan, but he's actually from Wisconsin. So it's not like he's got any connection to Michigan State other than, and Izzo mentioned this today, he worked the Izzo shootout for about 10 years running. So he's been around the Michigan State program to be sure. I don't want to suggest that there's no familiarity, but there's not you know, a super, super tight relationship. Yeah, right. um, so anyway, very strong. Never won a state championship at Romulus, but consistently had them in the mix. Uh, and then he took an assistance job under Bobby Hurley at Buffalo and Bobby Hurley got that program cranked up to a really nice level in part with some Michigan kids driving it. Um, and Bobby Hurley parlayed that into the Arizona state job and Nate Oates replaced him. And it was one of those scenarios. It was kind of like 
Uh, it reminded me a lot of the one Stan Heath had. So um, Stan Heath, who's now the head coach at Eastern Michigan, was on Tom Izzo's staff at Michigan State. And there was a guy named Gary Waters who was a really good college basketball coach uh, who built a hell of a team at Kent State at one time. Uh, it was led by Antonio Gates, the former Michigan State football player who transferred out because Nick Saban reneged on his promise to let him be a two-sport guy. <laughs> he ended up concentrating on basketball in college and was a tremendous college basketball player and then went back to football and became a Hall of Fame tight end. And his son is now at Michigan State as a wide receiver. Anyway, <laughs> um, it reminds me of that scenario because Gary Waters built that program and then got the head coaching job at Rutgers and left behind for Stan Heath, who was hired as his replacement, the makings of a tremendous team, which Stan Heath, if my memory is serving, took to the elite eight. He parlayed one year. He did at Kent state parlayed that into the Arkansas job. Now it didn't end up working out for him there, but you know, he's, he's hung on and still had a nice coaching career, but, that's kind of what the Nate Oates scenario reminds me of a bit, except that he was already at Buffalo. He was already an assistant. Yeah. He takes over for Bobby Hurley, um, has a the makings of a great veteran team, does the job in the tournament. I'd have to go back and look. I think he may have taken them to the Sweet 16, um, but had a great, great run with them and parlayed that into the Alabama job when they fired Avery Johnson. And so that's how he got to where he is. Um, just to focus on the job stuff, and then we'll, for a second more, and then we'll leave it alone. I don't believe Nate Oates is likely to leave that job unless he gets fired. Because we're, we're at a point, and, and people should realize this in college basketball, where if you are coaching in one of the power conferences, for you to move to another power conference job, it's, it's unlikely that if you are in that much demand, that the money is going to be radically different enough. Certainly if you're in a place like Alabama, SEC schools have all that TV money, just like Big Ten right. schools do. You know, do you think uh, a guy is going to leave a Big Ten job to go coach somewhere else? Not unless he's got a problem with his athletic director or a school president. That's really about it. You know, you may occasionally see like Kevin Willard, who's off to a really nice start at Maryland, you know, they poached him from Seton Hall. You know, the Big East is a power conference in basketball terms, but there's still enough of a difference in that situation that you could see it. Not in an Alabama, short short of a Kansas or Carolina or right. Duke coming. Right, home. right. That's about it. Or Kentucky. Um, so I think Nate Oates is going to be at Alabama for a long, long time. Um, you mentioned the season that they had last year. They got off to a great start. They had those two huge wins over um, Gonzaga and Houston. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Houston, big wins. And then they went out. I believe it was their next game or maybe two games after that. Um, got blown out by Memphis. And if you saw Memphis play last yeah, year, they were a disaster. They were an unholy wreck. Yeah. So to lose to them by double digits was a disgrace. And that was kind of a sign that all was not well at Alabama. And they, you know, they were nine and nine in the league, 19 and 14 overall. They got to the tournament, but, you know, one and done. It was not the kind of season that had been anticipated because the year before they had been really, really good. They won the SEC tournament. They were in contention in that league all year long. 
uh, had a nice run in the NCAAs. I believe, did it, were they the team that beat Michigan? No, they lost to Michigan, I think, in the Sweet 16 that year. But they they had a hell of a run. And so people were expecting a repeat of that last season, and it didn't happen. So you say, well, why was there that variance? Part of it, a large part of it, in my mind, is what you were talking about. The unbelievable reliance on threes. I mean, this team will hoist three-pointers at the drop of a hat. They are in the top 10 in three-point field goal attempts as a percentage of total field goal attempts. They're well above 50%. So more than half their shots are taking place from outside the arc. That's a lot. Um, And the reason for it is Nate Oates is a big believer in what analytics tell him is a good shot and a not-so-good shot. And in his mind, good shots are either three-point shots or shots at the rim. So the mid-range is a no man's land for Alabama. You are not going to see this team taking many, if any, long twos, jumpers from the free throw line. That's not going to happen. It's layups, dunks, and threes. That's what they believe in. And there is a, there's a rationale behind it that is certainly not crazy. But in my mind, the problem with it is when you have that heavier reliance upon threes and you don't have anywhere else your, your team is used to going, if you're having just a bad shooting day or you're being really well guarded, somebody else is kind of turning you into having, making you, helping you have a bad shooting day, you can have a problem. And that, I think, is what Alabama went through often last season. When you are such a high-variance team, It's going to be, in terms of systemically, what you're trying to do, game in, game out, I think you're you're not as safe a bet as teams who do things that are inherently more projectable from game to game to game. That's my opinion. I mean, reasonable minds could differ with that. But it's it's one reason why I don't love their approach. I also think it's an aesthetic atrocity. And we're going to fans are going to are going to see what I mean. If you haven't seen much of Alabama since Nate Oates took over, you're going to find out what I mean. Some people get turned on by teams hoisting. They shot 46 threes in their last game, (laughs) 46 (laughs) attempts from three. If you want to watch that game, God bless you. (laughs) But I don't. Because it's 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 it turns into a giant game of horse. I mean, it's just not it's not basketball the way I've come to understand it and appreciate it as a sport. I, again, I, I want to belabor the point for a second. I understand the underlying rationale. He has an argument, you know, right now they're shooting a tick over 33% as a team, which is not a great percentage, but the math tells you that because it's a three point shot. So you get more points for right. successful conversions. It equates to being a 50% shooting team from three or from two, right? That was Rick Pitino was the first guy to crack that code way back when he was at Providence, when they first instituted the shot. And there are guys who have fallen in love with that ever since. But I just, I question, you know, to, to me, 
ultimately, if you want to be a championship level team, a true championship level program, let's say the best route to that year in, year out is being able to have answers for many different problems. And I don't feel like his system gives you that. I think it's one way. And when that one way isn't working, they can look really, really ugly. Now, you know, so far they've played tomato cans. <laughs> they played four games. The closest game they had was a 10-point win over South Alabama. They haven't been tested by anybody yet. So the stats look impressive in many ways right now, but I don't know what they are because we haven't seen them play anybody that's capable of testing them. You know, they're going to find out very quickly what they are in this tournament because just as it was the last time they held this five years ago, this is a loaded field. Yeah. I mean, we got, you know, Michigan State and Alabama are depending upon what they do and what happens in the other game. In their second game, going to play one of UConn or Oregon. Those are two pretty good teams right now. Um, and then, depending upon how it breaks, you're probably playing a good to great team in your third game. So Izzo said it today. You could play pretty well and go 0-3 in this thing. Sure. And that's the truth. Um, but I think we're obviously, we've, we've got a pretty good indication of what Michigan State can be. We've seen enough, mm-hmm. you know, in the last three games that, that we know, all right, this is a, and that's not to say they're a team without weaknesses or anything like that, but we've got a pretty good idea. They've tested themselves. Alabama has not had a test yet. This is their first test. So we'll begin to find out. I, I would say that um, reasons for caution on their part, you know, there's certain things they do well. They play fast. They shoot a lot of threes and they're, okay at hitting them thus far they are a great they are the number one offensive rebounding team in america right now and i would say that's probably not a fluke because the last three years under oats they've been a top 50 team Mm -hmm. last year they were number 12 so that tells me he puts he puts a an emphasis on that part of the game um but the turnovers are really really an issue they're turning the ball over 23% and change. So that means almost a quarter of their possessions are ending in a turnover. And it's maybe not surprising that that's the case when you look at a team that's got four new starters, is playing a bunch of freshmen and a couple transfers in their rotation. It's the furthest thing from continuity sure. on the Alabama roster. So it stands to reason, put that together with trying to play an ultra-fast style, you might have some problems taking care of the ball. And and that is, in fact, what we've seen with Alabama. I also, you know, defensively, their stats look decent, but they haven't played right. anybody. So I don't know. I don't think we know how how do they guard. And we'll, we'll talk about this when we get to the keys. How do they deal with Michigan State's transition game? Yeah. Um, are they going to, again, this is a team that emphasizes offensive rebounding and hasn't seen anything like Michigan state before. So if Michigan state is managing to clear the defensive boards, are they going to have a lot of run out opportunities? Maybe so. Um, you know, are, are, is such a young team going to be able to deal with Michigan state's experience, Michigan state running their stuff, getting good looks, 
you know, is Michigan State going to be able to take advantage of their inexperience? We don't know yet because we just don't have enough information on them. Yeah, you wonder too. Neither of us have obviously gone over game film of Alabama, but you wonder too. Those turnovers are those turnovers of them just being sloppy, or those turnovers caused by their opponents? And if, you know, if so, you know they're not playing good teams, and so you that twenty three could be you know high twenties or thirty if, if you start playing really fast and loose, and you have a, got a good team defensively. And let's also let's also remember that Michigan State's current perimeter group is much better than we're used to seeing in terms of forcing right. turnovers. I mean, you know, we've talked about Michigan State's guards for the last three games running needing to be really good, needing to be strong with the ball, all of that stuff. And that still applies here. But, man, Alabama's guards, the onus, I think, is on them right. in this one. They've got to be strong. They've got to make good decisions. They can't, they can't be casual in this game because if they are you know tyson walker will steal their heart <laughs> well maybe literally i don't know he could i mean we could only hope right I mean, he's got to have the more of edge he has the better well let's talk about those guards so we'll start with this when this the starters mark sears he's a 6-1 transfer from ohio uh he was a bobcat last year oh they could have used him last Man, night I, boy could ohio have used well him. had ohio not played That's dumb they'd have beaten michigan last night but one guard without his head up yeah. his ass and ohio <laughs> wins that game yeah well we'll have fun anyway. talking about michigan later because they've got some serious problems but so mark sears is averaging uh 15.3 points a game on 41 42 and 72 shooting he also leads the team with 14 assists but has 14 turnovers yeah this is um this is a kid who had a very good year at ohio and and honestly um that's really the only criticism I have of Jeff Bowles running that program, the former Ohio state assistant who's actually won a lot of games in his time there. He just can't seem to hold on to his elite players. That's not only a Jeff Bowles problem. That's, <laughs> that's a Mac problem. Yeah. Mid major problem. Right. Um, but this is a guy, you know, we, we talk about this frequently. How do guys who are stars at the Mac translate? You know, there was a guard several years ago, named Jaron Simmons, who was uh, the best guard in the MAC at Ohio, who decided to transfer to Michigan. And they thought he was going to solve, this was under Beeline, they thought he was going to solve their point guard problem, and he was horrendous. And they ended up turning the keys over to Xavier Simpson, which in the long run worked out pretty well for them. But um, that was an example of a guy who had similar kinds of production to Sears, was not able to translate at all to the Big Ten level. So far... Again, tomato cans, but still, um, he's played well. And his shooting numbers are on par with what he did at Ohio. He was a tick over 40% from three last year. I think he's at 42 in the early going this year. So that's consistent. I I think in the long run, when, when Quinterly, who we'll get to, is fully back and able to run the team, Sears will not have to shoulder any point guard burden because he really isn't a point guard. He's a six one shooting guard. That's really what yeah. he is. And I think ideally, if you're Nate Oates, you want him focusing mostly on scoring. I mean, 14, 14 assists, 14 turnovers is not a ratio you want to see in your point guard, but I, I don't think he's going to have that problem for much longer. So we'll see how it continues for Sears, but for now it looks like a successful transition to this level. So the next guard would be Namari Burnett, six, four junior. He was a 
McDonald's All-American. He originally was uh, at Texas Tech. Had a bunch of injuries there. Uh, only played a couple, 12 games or so. Averaged five points a game. He transferred to Alabama last year, but got injured again. So he's healthy. So I guess it's going to be sort of his first opportunity to see what he can really do for a season. He's averaging a little under 10 points a game at 9.3. And he's shooting pretty well at 41, 38, and 72. But like everyone else on the team, it seems he's got he's had a number of turnovers already. 12 this season. Averaging three a game. Yeah, um, interesting situation. And, you know, they've got a couple of these stories on this team. Guys that were very, very highly regarded. McDonald's All-Americans who, did for a variety of reasons, it just did not work out at their first school. And in his case, it was Texas Tech. You know, he committed to Chris Beard, I believe, right in the aftermath of their run to the national championship game. I believe it was that next recruiting class, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, and it just didn't work. You know, he didn't, he, he got hurt, but even before he got hurt, he just wasn't playing that well. And so he transferred to Alabama, got hurt last year, sat the year out. Now he's finally back and yeah, is off to a decent start. We'll see um, if he's able to continue to elevate his play from here. Right now, what I think you're looking at is a guy who they they hope will be a solid three and D wing, and you know if they end up getting more out of him, that's great. But for right now, I think they would absolutely just take him being a guy who can help solidify the wing, give them decent production, solid defense, so they'd live with that. Next is Brandon Miller, six nine, two hundred pound freshman. Uh, he's seen as uh, arguably one of the best freshmen coming into the into America this year. Izzo, I guess, described him as a poor man's Kevin Durant. Izzo often describes people as yeah. poor men something or other, and uh, usually means they're quite a ways from that person, but they've got some skills. <laughs> He's uh, averaging 20.3 points a game, so he seems to be living up to the hype so far. Uh, and 50, 52, and 80 shooting with fairly high volume. He's already he's 29 of 50 from three. Yeah, um, he's also rebounding almost double digits. Um, yeah, this, this I think the comparison is that you're talking about a guy who's got a lot of length playing the wing who definitely is a legitimate three point shooter. Um, and, and that is Miller. So this is not a surprise. Expectations were pretty high when they got him. They got higher still in the fall when you started hearing reports, you know, NBA scouts, uh, often will take little tours around the country to most of the major programs and take a look at practice, and especially when they're trying to gauge freshmen. And the talk coming out of Alabama consistently this fall was that Miller looked like a superstar, and his play in the early going has done nothing to slow that train down. Um, he's going to present a real problem for Michigan State, but this is an instance where I think you're very happy to have 6'8 Malik Hall <laughs> right, yeah. capable of guarding him. And so it's going to be a different challenge. I mentioned, you know, Malik's been chasing around, you know, Daniels and um, Frederick for a large part of the two previous games. Well, now he's going to go against a guy who's even an inch taller than he is. And so it's a different kind of challenge in that way. Um, but I think, you know, thankfully, Michigan State has a card to play that physically at least would seem to give them a chance as opposed to if you're running out you know, a six, four, six, five guy at that spot, 
you feel a little better about it. But yeah, Miller's been everything he was talked about being coming into the season and then some off to a great start. Michigan state's got to find a way to contain him. I will note Michigan state faced the actual Kevin Durant in college. And some people may remember, I believe the game was played at Madison square garden. And um, when he was at Texas and Michigan state beat Durant on a late shot from drew Neitzel, if I remember correctly, um, so they, they beat the real Kevin Durant. Can they beat the poor man's Kevin Durant? We'll see. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially with the averaging a little over nine rebounds a game, it's going to be key obviously for Malik to try and, to try and hold him back from getting offensive rebounds, right. To block him out and to be very careful with that guy. Cause yeah, I mean, the, the kid's just active. I mean, 29 of his 50 shots from the floor are coming from three. So that tells you he's very much a perimeter guy, but at the same time, He's also getting offensive boards. He's rebounding in general very well. So what that says to me is you're talking about a guy whose activity level is just very, very high. And you're going to have to be dialed in to try to contain him. Next player we'll talk about is Noah Clowney. He's 6'10", 200-pound freshman. Uh, He's been a pretty good start to his career so far. He's averaging 6.8 points a game on 42, 8, and 40 shooting. So 1 of 12 from 3. But he's averaging over 10.5 rebounds a game and two blocks a game. Yeah, and, and so I think that's primarily where Clowney is is giving them um, production right now that they need is rebounding and interior defense, rim protection. Uh, obviously has not proven to be any type of shooting threat, and yet he's taking three three-point attempts per game. So he hasn't been shy. I don't know if that I, I guess the way I would translate that is he believes and maybe even their coaching staff believes that he's capable of hitting shots. He just isn't hitting them right now. Um, so for now, you have to say, OK, they don't have a proven stretch threat at that position. But again, good size. I mean, this is a team they're they're different from what Michigan State has seen in the last two games, at least in that. Alabama's got good length. They don't have a lot of that, you know, veteran man yeah. style strength. You know, these guys, Miller's pretty thin. Clowney's pretty thin. The next guy, Betty Ako, will talk about pretty thin. Um, they don't have that. They certainly don't have a Tashebwe presence. They don't have the guys like, you know, Dixon and Slater, those guys that Villanova was rolling out there who were just tough as nails. Toughness in that same way, at least, is not something that I would attribute to this Alabama team. They're a different style. They're going to try and get it done via their length, their athleticism, their activity level. They're not going to try to bully you. And the last starter was Charles Bediaco, who you just mentioned a moment ago, seven-footer, 225-pound sophomore, and he's averaging 4.3 points a game on 54% from the floor, 50% from the line, grabbing a measly 6.8 rebounds a game in, in only 16 minutes a game. So he's you know not playing starters minutes, I guess, in some ways you could say. Yeah, and you know sometimes Clowney will play some some minutes at the five. It's it's not just Bediaco, a very productive rebounder on a per minute base. It's crazy. Um, uh, he was a guy who was a Michigan State target. He's a Canadian kid uh, from out of Ontario. And Michigan State recruited him, um, was serious for a while, and then it just kind of uh, it just kind of fell off. He was 
he was a target in that um in that class that originally included guys like um Amani Bates and uh Enoch Boache and, and people like that. Um ended up at Alabama and he's been okay. I think honestly, I think they expected a little more from him than they've gotten thus far. But again, good length, you know, some athleticism uh, and decent production on a per minute basis. So let's go to the bench. Uh, we'll start with Ryland Griffin. He's a six, five freshman wing averaging 10.3 points a game on 35, 17 and 85 shooting. Yeah. Um, a lot of volume. He's taken a lot of shots. He hasn't been very <laughs> a lot efficient. of misses. <laughs> uh, but that's, you know, the, the Nate Oates program is, hey, over yeah. the course of 30-whatever games, it's all going to work out. And so right now it has been working out for him. But you'll notice a common theme where this is the third freshman we've mentioned already, you know, yeah. and then a transfer and then another guy who transferred didn't play last year. So he's in his first year of playing. And then Betty Ako is the gray beard. Who's a sophomore who didn't really start last <laughs> year. So you're, you're seeing what I'm talking about in terms of lack of continuity. This really is very much a new team in many ways. Yeah. And, and maybe a little bit unlike some of the other teams we talked about, especially in the previous that it's not as full of transfers as some of the other teams that a lot of the players, I mean, we mentioned one, but a lot of them are just new a lot, freshmen. Yeah. To a lot of freshmen, yeah. A lot of freshmen, too. A lot of freshmen, yeah. Uh, next would be Jaden Bradley. He's a 6'3 freshman, averaging 8.8 .8 points a game on 60, 67, and 75 shooting, and second in the team with assists with 10, uh, with also seven turnovers. Yeah, but hey, he's plus on the <laughs> ratio, so that's a positive. Um, you know, they, they think he can help them, and obviously the shooting, the efficiency numbers are the polar opposite of Griffin's. They're, they're much better, but his volume is pretty low. We said 67% on threes. Well, he's two for three on the year in four <laughs> games, so he hasn't taken a ton. Yeah. Uh, but again, this is a guy, you know, Alabama, because they want to play fast, it, it, a similarity to Tom Izzo is ideally, I think Nate Oates wants to have, you know, nine to ten guys that he can play. Right. And so Bradley's going to be in that rotation all year. Uh, one of those other players would be Noah Gurley. He's a 6'8 grad transfer from Furman, averaging five points a game and three rebounds a game on 32, 29, and 100 shooting. Uh, Three-time All-Southern Conference uh, player at Furman. And so I guess his hope is to come off the bench He's a, and get some quality minutes. He's already averaging 17 minutes a game so far. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's the kind of pickup that, you know, with Sears, obviously they're, they're counting on a lot more, but generally speaking, when you're a program like Alabama and you get a kid from a program like Furman, it, your hope is, all right, just give us a solid rotational spot that you can fill. Right. Right. You know, and that's, if that's your goal, then this is probably a decent pickup, you know, but it, even in the early going, I don't think he's shown that he's likely, you know, to be a starting caliber player or a guy who you're really looking to as a main option. Yeah. Next would be Javon Quinley. He's a former McDonald's All-American, six foot one point guard. Uh, you were talking about earlier, who's not in the starting rotation, but you expect he probably will once he uh, kind of gets back from his injury. He had torn his ACL. Uh, he transferred to Alabama from Villanova, where he just couldn't quite get anything going. And uh, was the MVP of the SEC tournament in 2021. And then that, 
terrible ACL injury and, uh, you know, maybe contribute a little bit to their NCAA tournament loss. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned, you know, but Burnett was one example. Quinterly's the other where, although he's done a lot more at the college level. Yeah. Um, it's a weird story. You know, he committed to Villanova and the feeling was, all right, Jay Wright's got his next great point guard after Jalen Brunson. Like this was going to be the guy McDonald's all American, lots of hype. And he was just bad. I mean, it wasn't because of injury. He was just bad. He couldn't play. And, you know, Villanova, uh, it was a program that they're not going to baby kids and they're not going to give a kid because he's a high profile recruit minutes to try to let him settle in. It's like, if you're not able to produce, you're not going to play much. And that's what ended up happening to him. So he transferred from Alabama, sat out a year. And then when he started playing, he found himself. So he had two pretty good seasons, the COVID year and then last season at Alabama, where he was a very productive player. You know, in the COVID year, he was uh, MVP of the SEC tournament. He's had statistically two very, very good years. And I think the biggest thing is that he gives this team an actual point guard by style of play and instinct and skill set. So even though he's only played in two games thus far and he's averaged 10 minutes a game, he's got eight assists to two turnovers. That would be, I can't imagine what Nate Oates would do with that kind of production. I don't expect his ratio to stay at four to one, but you get the point that this is a guy who actually is a point guard and this team could clearly use some of that. Um, pretty remarkable that he's even playing because he tore that ACL in their NCAA tournament game. So that was, you know, mid-March, let's say, when that occurred. The original mm -hmm. projection was he would not likely be back until January. And then it, then they were talking about, well, maybe mid-December, maybe early December. And instead, he ended up playing in mid-November. So hats off to him for fighting his way back. Yeah. Good I for him. don't yeah. know what's realistic to expect from him in terms of playing time. So again, he's only averaged 10 minutes a game in these first two games. He's been back Were they kind of saving him for this and they're going to unleash him, you know, a la Oscar, in the Kentucky game where we weren't <laughs> sure how much he was going to play. And he played 34 minutes. You know, I don't know, but uh, Alabama could clearly use him because there would likely, it's not just even about what he does. It's the domino effect. All of a sudden, okay, Sears doesn't have to be your primary decision maker. So you're asking less of him. You're asking less of Burnett. You've got a guy who you can hand the keys to and say, all right, you know what you're doing because he's had two years of it where he's been very successful there already. So that's one to watch how much of a role he plays in this game and how effective he is. But at his best, Quinterly is a guy who could be a difference maker for them. The other thing is too, Man, on a team that's this young and this new, to have a third-year yeah. point guard, that's a big deal. That could that could paper sure. over some of these uh, cohesion problems, maybe. Yeah, and to use and to use a, like a football analogy, if you look at Michigan State's defense, how much better were they when Xavier Henderson was playing? Sure, you know, versus right. Yep, they had some of the experience out there. Well, we'll go to the final reserve, Nick Pringle, who, I don't know, is he playing with a chip on his shoulder? He's a 6'9", 220-pound transfer from Wofford. 
he's averaging one and a half points a game on three and a half rebounds a game in only nine minutes a game. Yeah, this is a depth piece. You know, the 10th man in the rotation gives him a little bit of size. So you could play him for a turn in each half, maybe backing up Betiaco or or a Clowney at the five or the four. Um, they're not expecting much more than that from him. So, you know, that that's his role. Just eat up some minutes, grab a rebound occasionally, and that's about it. All right, so let's go to the keys of the game. In what has to be the most obvious key to the game ever in any uh, analysis, number one is defend the arc. Uh, State has done well so far this season. Can you, I mean, you're certainly not going to prevent this team from shooting a lot of threes, but can you make it difficult and try and make sure that they don't ever get really going, right? That's got to be the main thing to make it challenging for them to get open looks and clean looks. Yeah, yeah. what you always talk about in these situations is, you know, the percentage of makes is considered to be somewhat random. Um, I think that's an oversimplification. I do think that yeah. clearly if you are able to consistently contest three point shots, the opponents likely going, if they've got a smaller window of time to get a shot off uh, than they're used to getting, for example, uh, that's likely going to have an impact to some extent over their success rate. I, I don't think that's a crazy statement, but in any event, um, the thing that's considered to be much more a much more reliable indicator of success is limiting the attempts that an opponent gets. And so that's going to be a big deal for Michigan State, I think. I, I don't think you could stop Alabama completely from taking threes, but you can maybe not let them get as many off as they would like to. And you can also hopefully make the ones that they do take shots that are taken under some level of duress. That's, that's what you want to do. And you would think that this Michigan state team is well positioned to do that. I mean, I think one of the differences is, you know, in the Kentucky game and in the Villanova game, yeah, those teams had multiple shooters, but each of those teams had one guy that you were really dialed in on, and Malik Hall took right. him away at both games, right? Uh, I don't know if it's quite the same deal with Alabama. Yeah, Miller is the number one guy, clearly, but they've got a lot of other guys that are higher-volume shooters that can make shots, so it's, it's more of a team-wide sort of thing. So you really need everybody in that MSU perimeter group uh, dialed in one good element here is that unlike some other teams you might face during the season uh, unless they're playing Miller at the four which they may do some of but when he's not playing the four I don't know if I believe Alabama has really good stretch options mm-hmm. from the big man spots from the post positions so that's a good thing because it means you shouldn't be putting Joey Hauser and Marty Sissoko under stress. I mean, Marty Sissoko was under stress in that Villanova game. Dixon was just a load to cover, in part because you had to be so conscious of him at the three-point line. I mean, he was a stretch five, you know, a true right. stretch five. That's not what Alabama's going to roll out there. So it should be an easier game for those two guys from a mental point of view, I think their to-do list is a little bit more um, limited 
you know, still could be a tough matchup. Yeah. We'll see. But you're not going to be tested in as many ways as, say, Villanova was able to. I've, I'm guessing, and I not having watched Alabama this season, but I'm guessing that it, that if you're defending tight on the the three point arc, there you know their other thing is to get in laid up or you know dish for dunks, and so you probably have to be very careful doubling or coming out too far on your guy yeah. on your guy and collapsing and helping too much because you can prevent the layup, but are you going to it, they're going to kick out to a wide open three from someone else who you know sagged off? And their top guys, it should be noted. Are, are doing a decent job at getting to the line. I think Miller's averaging five free throw attempts per game. Uh, Sears and, and Burnett are somewhere near that, not quite that level, maybe averaging four. So they, that's true. If you're playing up, you know that, that might leave you with a little more vulnerable to the drive-by, and then you've got to contend with that. Um, I guess the only thing I would say to it is there's a difference – between some of the teams Alabama's played thus far playing up <laughs> right and Michigan State but it is worth it is worth noting all right the number two key to the game is defensive rebounding so it's, you know Michigan State has done okay so far this year I'd say but they're going up against the number one offensive rebounding team in the country as you mentioned before uh, it's going to be you know a lot of pressure on Michigan State to not only to to not only defend and prevent the makes but then to make sure you clean up and black out the guy who's shooting because i'm sure if they're shooting a lot of threes or lots of long rebounds it's going to be real incumbent on the guards to to clean up the glass like uh, hogarth's done really well but you know can akins and walker do the same yep uh for sure it's it's going to be a lot on the perimeter group because with three-point shots comes long rebounds um I don't know how to make sense of this, really, because as I mentioned earlier, Alabama being at number one isn't surprising. They've been a good offensive rebounding team under Oates before. But more from the Michigan State point of view, when you look at Ken Palm, they're, they're not very impressive statistically. In fact, they look worse than they did last season. I think they're like 156 or something in defensive rebounding rate. But that I, I, I haven't drilled down to make sense of that, whether maybe the Northern Arizona game threw it out of whack because when I look at it, they had one very good half against Gonzaga and then one not so good half. They had a pretty good game against Kentucky in that regard. And, and maybe some of it is that when I'm evaluating these things, I'm also grading on a curve. You could give up. You're going to give up maybe, some offensive yeah. rebounds to Kentucky, right? Oscar alone is going to get some. But um, but I felt on balance, Michigan State did a really good job there. And they did a really good job against Villanova, but that said, Villanova stylistically doesn't really test you very much. I think Villanova only had four offensive rebounds, but they really weren't competing very hard for offensive rebounds. They were more concerned with floor balance. If I recall, you know, Villanova was like 15%, and I think, and I think Kentucky was 30-plus percent offensive rebounding rate, and I think Gonzaga was around 30 and I think Northern Arizona is about the same too. So it did not strike me that, that that my impression of how Michigan state has done in this area is better than what Ken Palm tells me. So for now, at least I'm going to go with my impression that I think they've, yeah, I think, I that's think fair. they've done well enough. You know, this is a different challenge, but again, it's a, it's a different team too. They're, they just have, 
a lot of long athletic guys flying around out there. And then you add into that, as we just talked about the propensity for long rebounds off of misses. So it's going to be incumbent upon Michigan state to end possessions. And that's for two reasons. One, you don't want to give any team multiple chances to score. That's a recipe for disaster. But the second thing is, and this is going to bleed into another one of our keys. Mm -hmm. I think there's a real opportunity to be had here to get into transition and punish these guys. And it's hard to do that consistently if you're not clearing your defensive boards. Yeah. You know, and thinking about the, the numbers of Ken Palm, I wonder if a little bit early in the season, there are far more mismatches with between teams. Yes. I thought about that as far as like skill levels. And so you, you're going to have teams that are, you know, like an Ohio state playing the 340th team, you know, in the country or something like that. And so they're going to just dominate in the offensive rebounding and Michigan state's obviously played three high level teams. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's probably, they played one. There's probably some truth to that as well, that it will begin to even out, especially once teams get into this week. And then, you know, with so many high major teams in tournaments and then, you know, especially once they're in conference play. Um, Yeah. Although I think we could both sit here and say that Michigan State is not a top 50 team defensive rebounding. No, no, they haven't been great. But my my anecdotal impression, and I think it's yeah. been borne out with some of the statistics too, is that they've been better than they were last year. And and I mm-hmm. think that's a yeah. true statement. I really do. Now again, we're gonna we're gonna see a different kind of test. Can they pass this one? We'll see. Yeah, this will be a good stress on that. So the third key to the game are turnovers. So this is the, the rare game where we look uh, like we're really solid and secure the ball and, and value possessions even more than the other team. I mean, to give an example, I don't think we mentioned earlier, Alabama is number, number one, 316th in the country in turnover percentage. So they really turn it over a lot. And Michigan State's what, like 180-something? Yeah, I think so. I think we're bottom half, but barely. Yeah, it's it's and, and that's... You know, that, that's considering they had a couple games against Gonzaga and Kentucky where they didn't really take great care of it. Um, they did a much better job against Villanova, but again, that was a different sort of game. And unfortunately, when the turnovers came in that game, they were yeah, disastrous. Right. Um, yeah. But this is one, honestly, Michigan State's got no business losing the turnover battle here. I mean, they really don't. <laughs> These right. guys are they are not used to playing with each other. They're trying to play frenetically, and they make a lot of mistakes. So if you're Michigan State, you should win this. I'm not saying it, it's going to be a 10 turnover difference or anything, but Michigan State should have an advantage here. If they don't, that's a problem. Yeah, and we've talked about it, and we've talked about how the, that Michigan State is also turns people over. Like it's not it's More not a other team, and they're, so they're not they're yeah, not right, Tony and UNLV, but. But more than we're used to, they're they're forcing they're forcing turnovers. Uh, you know, to me, so much of this, and it's not exclusively him, but a lot of it is. It's AJ Hogard. I mean, AJ Hogard. I just saw this evening before we started recording. He is number three in the country in assists per game. I think he's averaging eight point three a game. That's a really mm-hmm. really good number, right? Yeah. But I would defy any Michigan state fan to tell me that they think AJ Hogard has been great this year. He's been good in spots for sure, but we haven't seen great AJ Hogard yet. 
in my opinion. Great A.J. Hogard will be when he has a 12-2 and two game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he seemed like he was on a path for that against Villanova, but there were a couple of really unfortunate mistakes late in that game that he made. He ended up, I think, I think it was 10 and three, maybe um, still good, but not, not great. And Michigan state needs him. I think, especially in a game like this, if you're going to exploit an advantage in this area, you need AJ Hogard to be really, really dialed in. Yeah. And I think that's what we haven't gotten. I don't think we've gotten 40 minutes of Hogard right. yet this season. And I think he's, you know, casual, either a half or part of a half. And it's just, it, it has been to his detriment and, you know, at some point, hopefully he gets it together. That goes across the board. I mean, I'm not even just talking about the turnovers. I mean, making consistently good decisions. You know, we talked about it coming out of that Kentucky right. game where, yeah, he had a lot of assists, but he also had plays where he had a guy open and he chose to try and score himself. That would just, it was too much hero ball. Um, he's got to be better yeah. there. In a game like this, they absolutely need him to be dialed in defensively. I mean, we just got done talking yeah. about that, how much is going to rest on your perimeter defenders. You also need him to be one of those guys, as he has been. The one thing he's done that you really can't knock thus far has been his rebounding. That needs to continue in a game like this. If there were a game where you could get a triple-double, I would think this would be a game they for him He came very close against Villanova, but yeah, you're right. Uh, so number four, is we touched on briefly is transition so we expect to you know if you got to clear the boards cleanly if you do then especially this team is crashing the boards your opportunities to score quickly either on the transition or the break or the secondary break is going to be there and so that's you're going to have to try and really punish them when you got a chance to um so i don't know i mean i think that's definitely an advantage and like most of these teams that we don't play hardly ever I don't remember the last time we played Alabama. They've not seen us play. They can't simulate that break, the the um, the blitz sort of after uh, made baskets and things like that. I didn't check to see the last time Michigan State has faced Alabama. I didn't look at the media. At the media, is college playoffs right? I oh, think got, no, in I'm basketball, um, it's been <laughs> yeah. a long time. It, more to the point here, however long it's been, um, none of these guys have seen Michigan State. Nate Oates has seen Michigan State. And so I think that's one of the reasons why Izzo mentioned, you know, Nate having worked the Izzo shootout for 10 years. He was in the state for quite a while. He knows what Michigan State wants to do. But we've talked about this already this season. I think it is a different thing between a coach knowing and trying to prepare his team and tell them, look, these guys are going to push. They're going to look to push off makes, not just misses. And you have to be mm -hmm. ready to get back, balance the floor. Um, it's a different thing between a guy telling you that and having actually experienced it for yourself. And they have nobody who's dealt with Michigan State. They have nobody who's dealt with anything like Michigan State you know, stylistically, because there aren't that many teams that do it the way MSU does. Now, that said, um, I think this is definitely a game where the rebounding battle is going to dictate a lot of what happens. If Michigan State is yeah. able to do the job on its defensive boards and limit not even just how many offensive rebounds Alabama is getting, but 
if Michigan State is getting mostly clean defensive rebounds, that's a big deal too. I think there are going to be a lot of opportunities because we yeah. know that Alabama's style of play, they're sending guys. You know, you don't get to number one in the country or number 12 last year without having that as part of your philosophy. And so they're going to send, I don't know if it's going to be consistently four to the boards, but they're going to send people. If you're clearing your defensive glass consistently, you are going to have opportunities to have um, advantage transition situations, you know? And, and I also think that with a young team that also hasn't seen Michigan state or anything like it, I think there's a chance that they will not be as well drilled as say a Villanova was yeah, in terms right, of yeah. balancing the floor. So there are a lot of things here that potentially add up to Michigan state having some success in transition. But a lot of that I think comes back to that point that we talked about earlier. Can Michigan state keep these guys off the offensive glass? And the final key to the game is toughness. I think Michigan State has shown that. I think partly due to their experience sure. and the, the sort of the uh, senior laden thing, but uh, just you know from a physicality standpoint, I they've definitely been much better. I mean, even Shebway, who is just a giant, he he did not intimidate that Michigan State the way you would have expected, like you know the year before or so or the year before. Absolutely. That. You know they 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 were able to tough it out. I think part of that Sissoko is just a little tougher guy. I think. Hogarth's got some toughness to him, and you know, obviously Malik Hall too. So, even Walker, he's a tiny I think guy. Everybody, right? I think everybody that's playing has shown their moments of that. You know, even Jackson Kohler, yeah. a guy who's not playing that much, Trey Holloman, those guys have had moments where you know they've laid out on the floor for a loose ball. You know, they've done those kind of things. But the guys playing heavy minutes, absolutely. You know, I think Tyson Walker, in his own way is proving to be a very tough guard. I'm, I'm not even just talking about physical toughness. There's also mental toughness. And yeah, right, right now, <laughs> this team has played, I, I guess the Kentucky game technically is not a one possession game, but they've played two games that went down to the last possession and split those. And then the one that wasn't, they won in double overtime and they had to make last second baskets to get it there twice. Yeah, they two one possession yeah. games there. <laughs> so they've already been through experiences that many other teams will not see until well into January. You know? And by the way, all against yeah. high level opposition. So I think all of that says something about Michigan State's not only their physical toughness, which they've clearly displayed, but their mental, psychological toughness. We don't know anything about Alabama in that regard because Alabama has not faced any adversity yet. And it's a young team that hasn't been through it. Maybe they will have that uh, aspect to their team, but we don't know yet. Um, so I think that's something that Michigan State hopefully can have as an advantage here, that if they hit moments of adversity, they don't fade, they don't wilt. And conversely, Maybe when Alabama comes under a little bit of game pressure, Michigan State is able to exploit that. You know, I, I also think if we're talking about the physical aspects of it, 
uh, mentioned this earlier, Alabama is just a very different kind of team than, say, Villanova was for sure. And even than Kentucky, um, they're long, they're athletic. They are not filled with, you know, rock solid, super strong guys. They're not like Villanova in the slightest in that way. That doesn't mean that they that they're weak or that they can't win. It absolutely doesn't mean that. It just means it's a different kind of challenge. And so hopefully Michigan State can use their physicality to maybe carve out some kind of advantage. I'm I'm thinking about things like when Michigan State's on the offensive end, for example, um, and they're going to make Alabama deal with their screening game. You know, how precisely yeah. Michigan State's running their stuff how much space they can generate for shooters or for a guard looking to turn the corner on a pick and roll. Um, can they test Alabama a little bit in that way? Uh, you know, that, that could have a lot to do with the outcome. Yeah. And I feel like with a team like Alabama with that's relies on three point shots so much, the key of course is not giving them opportunities to sort of get going. And so even if they, you may have, they may be struggling to be careful not to, have a couple of breakout opportunities where they get a couple shots in rhythm and now they start feeling better and they start, you know, hitting ones that are a lot more difficult, right? You have to make sure you make it hard for the entire game. Absolutely. And that's, and it's also something too, hopefully that's a lesson that if not being learned completely was at least served to remind people, you know, the end portion of that Villanova game, Michigan state, I mean, the numbers still looked great what they did to Villanova from three over the course of the whole game, but they were spectacular until about the last five minutes. And yeah, Michigan state left that team just enough room to get it going. And they almost paid for it in the end. So that's definitely something they need to be conscious of in this game. If they can, if they're fortunate enough to get out to a decent lead with an opponent that plays like this, you know, you can be up 16 with eight minutes to play and it's not put to bed yet because they can get on a roll. Yeah, no, and so yeah. you have to see it out for a full 40 minutes. You're consistently limiting, contesting, you're, you're locating and closing on shooters. Um, you're not giving them easy looks. That's if you could do that, then you can, you can live with the results. You know, if they're hitting contested threes, that's the way it goes. The key is not to give you the openings to get going early for sure. So Alabama is a two point favorite per Ken Palm. Uh, you know, I like our chances this game. I think, you know, with our experience and the way we've been playing. And I think the fact that we've been, we're seasoned already <laughs> four games into the, into the year. I think, I think we have a good chance of, of winning it again. The things that are unknown is, you know, can you on the boards, can you survive? And then maybe can you turn over and get some easy baskets the other way possibly. And, so, and uh, you know, there are other things we didn't mention either. Um, you know, Michigan State's own three-point shooting. You know, this is a team that we expected to be very good. They were um, decent against Northern Arizona, terrible against Gonzaga, but there were reasons for that. They were solid against Kentucky, not spectacular, but they were spectacular against Villanova. I don't, you know, this Alabama team, I just, I don't have a firm grasp yet I don't think anybody does on what they actually are. And that includes the defensive end. So if you were to tell me, right. Hey, these guys don't have it together yet. And they're going to give up a lot of, a lot of open looks. 
to Michigan State. I wouldn't find that surprising. You know, we're, we're so focused on what Alabama does from three. Let's also remember they got to guard Michigan State. And I think this Michigan State team, I mean, MSU, I think, is shooting around 37% as a team through four games, which is okay. You know, it's I, I think they yeah. can even be a tick better than that. But um, might they do damage against an Alabama defense that just isn't quite together yet because they're young and they're not used to playing together? Yeah, that's very possible. Um, but I, I, I think that, this is one, I know what Ken Palm says, but the Ken Palm spread is also still a little bit influenced and will be probably until we get to January. But there's some level of impact of his preseason rating in there. I mean, Michigan State, I think, is 21st in Ken Palm overall right now, which, uh-huh. yeah, you know, this is this is one rare time where I think who have they beaten? Right. This is one rare time <laughs> where I think that um, the eye test guys, you know, the AP and the coaches poll <laughs> actually are ahead of Ken Palm. Michigan State is has definitely done more than several teams ahead of it thus far in in Ken Palm's rankings. And and I think that I I, I haven't seen a Vegas line yet. It's a little early for that, but. I would be a little bit surprised if Michigan State is not a favorite in Vegas in this game. Not by a lot necessarily, but you know, as opposed to Ken Palm having Bama by two, if MSU is favored by two by the books, it wouldn't surprise me. And because it's neutral court, and um, yeah, and I think you know to your point with the Ken, with the Ken Palm rise stats, it you look at it very similar to the AP, right? Like Michigan State beat number what number four Kentucky number two Gonzaga or almost number two Gonzaga and then beat Villanova you could easily make the argument that they were a top 10 team but they end up 12th because they were out of the rankings and so you just have to sort of work your way in I mean in many ways it doesn't matter right I mean the AP ranking bears no bearing anything except that you know for TV ratings or you know when you say hey it's number 12 Michigan State playing whoever but look but I, I think the conclusion that I would reach is in part because we just don't know very much definitively about Alabama. We know that it's a team with real potential. I don't dispute that. But we don't know a lot about them yet. I think it's hard to call this much other than a toss-up. You know? Yeah. I just, I don't feel, you know, if you, if, and if you're going to go one way or the other, I would think you probably default slightly to the MSU side of the equation, you know, but that also, yeah, just that also doesn't, doesn't always hold up. I mean, I was a friend asked me the other night about the uh, UCLA Illinois game. And I said, well, I'd, I'd probably bet on UCLA because they've got a lot more coming back. They're a lot more coherent. Illinois has got talent, but I, I don't know if they know who or what they are yet. And I felt really good about that at halftime. And then, you know, the second (laughs) half happened. So who knows? Teams, you know, we're in this era where so many teams are not very different than what Alabama is. You know, this is kind of the, I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it. This is the new normal in college basketball. that You know, we're going to see it in the Big Ten, a bunch of teams that have a bunch of new guys. Michigan State is an exception this year for sure in ter- and and hopefully that's going to end up being a positive for them 
by comparison with a lot of these teams, but it, it, this, this Alabama game is a very interesting test of that. You know, are you better off with guys who know each other, who have been around each other, played with each other for a while and have built up that kind of familiarity and experience, or are you better off just kind of getting as much of what, you know, is quote unquote high caliber talent as you can, you know, it reminds me, I was reading an article in the athletic, uh, this morning, um, where a guy who writes, uh, for Kentucky was just taking Calipari to task for losing games against Michigan <laughs> yeah. state Gonzaga and, and reference to the Michigan state game. He, a couple times in the article, he emphasized the talent gap between the two teams. And I, and I've always thought this, I've thought this for decades what do people think they mean by talent? what do they think talent is you know i think most of the time what people are talking about is a combination of a couple things in one case it's they're simply looking at recruiting rankings which you know can tell you something but it's pretty limited utility and value especially once they actually start playing it doesn't mean a hell of a lot right it's a good handicapper mm-hmm. and a and um, can give you some foreshadowing into what might be reasonable to expect from a guy who hasn't played before. But once they start playing, well, it's about how they're playing, right? And then the other thing, maybe in conjunction with that, uh, we'll call it one B, is um, you know NBA prospects, which doesn't necessarily translate yeah. very much or very well at all to how you're actually going to play in a collegiate game. You know, but then the other thing is, I think they usually mean how guys run and jump, you know, athletic ability. Yep. And all of that yep. stuff is fine. But if it were really about that, well, Tony Bennett's Virginia program wouldn't be what it's been. Uh, Jay Wright's Villanova program probably wouldn't have been. Those are programs that remind me a lot although not entirely of what Tom is. Tom Izzo's program has typically had more athleticism overall than either of those two have had. But it it goes, you you look at the success of a Wisconsin over the years, you know, all of these examples. And this Alabama team is very much a talent team. I don't Mm -hmm. know if they're a great college basketball team yet. We'll begin to find out. Maybe Maybe they'll prove me. And I'm not even saying I think they aren't, but you know, they might, they might make me, you know, land definitively on the, Oh, they are actually really good. But I, I read that article and I just thought I get his point, but man, how long have you been watching college basketball? If you can't figure <laughs> out that quote unquote talent doesn't necessarily mean that much, particularly when you are facing certain programs that the coaches know how to coach and they know how to develop their players into effective, effective players in the games they're actually playing in, not fantasy games three years from now, you know? And, and so anyway, I just, I, it came to mind because I'm thinking about this Alabama team as just a bunch of question marks, clearly impressive in some ways on paper, but we just don't know yet what they're going to be. So if if I were if I were setting a line in this thing, I, I probably wouldn't feel comfortable going more than a couple points in either direction. 
it reminds me of medicine, you know, we have, or in science really, there's an in vivo and in vitro. And so in vitro is, you know, what is it, what is it like, you know, in the lab and perfect conditions where, you know, what's the, how does something work? But then what is it when you put it out into real life in vivo, in vivo, how does the, the therapeutic or whatever it is, how does it actually operate? And so it might look great in the lab. And then when you get out in real life, it turns out it doesn't work at all or something like that. So it is maybe talent is a little bit like that. Like, you know, just in the lab setting. Right. right? It's funny, you know, life, strangely enough, real life is complicated and complex. It is. And there are things it is that very... don't necessarily translate very well to um, being viewed, quote unquote, on paper. You know, they have to actually because in this case, they're actual human beings playing these games, you know, and that matters. So anyway, uh, just uh, interesting as I as I think about this game, it it came to mind after reading that this morning, the lamenting of a of a Kentucky writer that I guess still believes that, you know, winning recruiting championships is supposed to equate to hardware. (laughs) But you know how many years they thought. How many years? I guess that's his point. Is how many years of this? Yeah, can, right. can we put up with? Okay. Yeah. Maybe I can't argue so much with that. That's like the Tennessee football issue, right? They're always top ten recruiting class, and they never seem to pull it together. Uh, and I think you know, as far as real life, you don't really recognize what two feet of snow is until you have to shovel out of it. And so I am finally uh, got myself unburied from West Michigan here from all the snow. I actually went cross country skiing, which, um, I know a week or two ago I was telling that I went curling and I was pretty sore after that. I'm really sore <laughs> after cross country skiing. So that was, uh, yeah, it was great. It was nice and quiet out there, but man, it was, um, it was some work. I think I need some wax for my skis or something, but it's pretty, it is pretty amazing in this state because over here in Southeast Michigan, I mean, we had a trace, you know, like this, the street, and the sidewalk <laughs> had, a, had a snow covering, a dusting is the best I could call it. So just crazy. What a difference three hours in a lake makes, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, uh, Lake Michigan, it is, um, it is unforgiving. Yeah. And so it, there's, there's, yeah, I actually had planned on power washing my deck this weekend. So that plan's gone. All right. so that's, <laughs> I don't think I'll see my deck again until probably the spring at this point, at, <laughs> unless it really warms up here. All right. But, uh, we'll have our next show will be after the Alabama game, but before whoever they play, either UConn or Oregon, we'll have sort of a combo show for a couple times there as we go through the holiday week. It's a late game, a late start. It's a 1030 start Eastern time uh, for all you here in the East Coast. I will be elsewhere. And so for me, it won't be quite so late. Uh, so we'll, um, I guess, uh, stay tuned. And again, we're very humbled by a you know, being top 50 show in basketball for America. It's uh, thanks to you. Make sure you continue spreading the show with your friends. Make sure you leave a rating on your podcast player, leave a written review. If you could, it'd be really appreciated. And thanks again so much. And until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go green. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.